Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know what I want? <laughs> Not Samsung, Greg. Not Samsung. Not what? Not Samsung. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Outside Looking In, the podcast series wherein I, Samson Folk, talk about the whole league basically with 29 separate people, about their team, about the Raptors, so that everyone can have kind of a consensus on what, you know, the apparatus of the NBA media sphere thinks of the, the Raptors, which is good, and so that you slowly, slowly, trickly figure out, you know, about the league at large. Today, we're talking about the Miami Heat with Nikias Duncan, who, of course, has written at WNBA.com, who, of course, is half of the Dunker Spot podcast. That is under the J.J. Redick umbrella. Uh, the Raptors were very nearly under the J.J. Redick umbrella, if, uh, <laughs> if, if I remember correctly. Uh, Nikias, how you doing, man? Uh, I am doing well, doing well on this, I guess, Friday, trying to remember what day it is. Like, we were joking before the pod, like, I'm deep in, like, WNBA stuff right now since that season's still going on. Playoffs just started not too long ago. I was like, man, I got to turn the NBA brain back on, and I especially have to turn the Heat brain back on since Damian Lillard things may actually be happening soon. I guess we'll see what happens on that front. Uh, Very exciting times, but I'm doing well. Good. I think this is a unique opportunity just to compare and contrast the WNBA and the WNBA since you're here. When I think of the WNBA, I think of like a few differences. Like if the ball goes in into like a super deep seal, the ball will probably end up going back out. Like if there's a collapse to the three point line and there's like a lot of really great like ping, ping, ping passes that enter the middle of the court. Whereas in the NBA, it's a lot more likely that if it enters the paint, like the guy who's got the ball there isn't going to keep pinging the ball around. That's like a big difference I noticed. The shooting across the board is obviously so so high level in the WNBA. But um, what do you notice as differences between the two styles? Um, I think the post point is an interesting one, uh, especially in light of some of the entry pass discourse that we got recently with a former WNBA player. We'll leave that there. Um, but no, like that's an interesting one. I think for me, Teams feel a lot more aggressive on the W side defensively. Like you think of the Sun, you think of the Sparks. Um, the Aces will ramp it up sometimes. Chicago's another team that'll do it. And like on the NBA, it feels like it's very condensed to like Toronto, Minnesota <laughs> with Cat. The it's, Thunder, I guess, as well, too. Yeah. Yeah. But like even with the Thunder, like it feels more like Jalen's more like at a high drop and like they'll switch a ton. But it feels like there's more aggression across the board in the W front. Uh, Steve makes the comment all the time. There are a lot more unders in the W as well, since the shooting is high level, to your point. But I think we're still waiting on the true like pull-up shooting revolution from three, at the very least. A lot of mid-range pull-up shooters. Um, so they're still waiting on that. So teams can get a little bit more comfortable ducking under some screens. But the W is also really good at rescreening. Again, that gets that under and getting their guards downhill. So like that's a fun little back and forth. Um and I think in general, just there's still more post play in the W just yep. on a basic level than on the NBA side. Like the NBA still does it, obviously, 
uh, will use their bigs as hubs. But on W side, you get the hubs. And also, here's Brittany Griner with 12, 14, 15 post-up possessions of the game. Here's rookie Aaliyah Boston, who can feast in the lower to mid post. Asia Wilson's another one, though she's trending more to more her face-up game this year. Um, but, like, there are just a lot more of that. There's a lot more of that in the W side. Who is the most WNBA-style NBA star, and who is the most NBA-style WNBA star? Ooh. Ooh, that's a that's a fun one. Um, The most NBA-style W star would probably be... Ah, that's a good question. It's I guess it's probably Stewie, since she's like Miss Versatility. You just kind of use her, move her around literally everywhere. And that also you know also flows on the other end of the floor as well. Very switchable. Can work on the back end as a rim protector. Uh, can switch all over the place on ball as well. So maybe Stewie for that comp. As far as the W-style NBA star. Um, hmm. It might be, it may not be the best answer, but like Brad, I see so much of Kelsey Mitchell and Bradley Beal and vice versa. So that's probably the one that I immediately come to just with how they work off of screens, their ability to decelerate the way they work the mid range game. Um, some of just their pick and roll cadence is similar to driving cadence is similar. Uh, Kelsey's got, she, ne- she never misses the top foot on the closeout. Does she? <laughs> she does. She does not. She does not. Yeah. So like, that's probably the closest one I have there, at least off the top of my head. Yeah, that's well. I didn't give you any heads up on this question, so I, I'm free to take any any answers. There was no, uh, there was no like, okay, think of this powerfully with your brain for two days. <laughs> um, something that everyone has been thinking, probably not very powerfully about, but about for many many days. Damien Lord, I don't want to spend more than five minutes on this, you know, because mm-hmm. we there's actual basketball to talk about. But he says like, send me to Miami. We're talking about Miami. Dame is a player of significant consequence. Why, you know, is that a game changer from Miami if it happens? And what do you expect if they manage to pull it off? The names are that are going out the other door. Um, I think you want to one, because he's really freaking good at basketball, but two, the way that he's really freaking good at basketball is something that Miami needs. Uh, now to the degrees in which Miami needs it has been a conversation among heat Twitter. Because they need a pull-up shooter, they need a dynamic guard. Do they need top twelve player in the league, Damian Lillard, or do they just need someone? Do they just need healthy Tyler Hero or someone a little bit better than Tyler Hero to go over the hook? Kyle Lowry, sure. Yeah, no, that would <laughs> also help. You know, Kyle stays healthy and the pull-ups going for him. But like, you know, the degrees has been a conversation. But the Heat need a dynamic pull-up threat, and if they are able to get Damian Lillard in the building, I, barring injury, you're just going to get the best season out of Bam Adebayo that you've seen offensively. Like, I don't know exactly what happens to his hub usage, but as a pick and roll, you know, screen and dive, screen and short roll big, it just unlocks so much of his game. Having someone that teams have to commit extra eyeballs to. You can't just go over on Damian Lillard. You have to go over with help peeled in. And just changing the, I guess, the geometry of the court that way, I think will open up Bam as a roller and as a short roll playmaker in a way that he hasn't been able to do so consistently um, in his heat career. That takes some of the offensive creation burden off of Jimmy Butler. Um, if they're able to keep Tyler Hero out of the deal somehow, that takes some of the creation burden off of him, whether he starts or if he goes back to the six-man role, I don't know. But like, you don't have to rely on him. You have to be the pull-up guy. You have to be the scorer to compliment Jimmy Butler. Now he can slide down the hierarchy, and it makes it easier. And also, if you do have a lineup with Dame and Tyler and Jimmy and Bam on the floor at the same time, just on the perimeter, Tyler's probably getting your third-best perimeter defender. 
And like that just changes so much of the well, he doesn't have the great burst, he doesn't have the shiftiest handles, et cetera, et cetera. If he's going against your third best defender, like he's probably going to win a lot of those matchups against tilted defenses or if he's just running ball screens against someone. So if you're able to get Dame, like it just changes the offense. And you trust the body of work that, that uh Eric Spolster has built across his career to cobble up a top ten or better defense. That's yeah, those are my thoughts as well. And regarding the hero thing is like you know, Tyrese Maxey, although I like Maxey better than Hero on the whole, mm-hmm. there's you can make similar comparisons to how Maxey like really popped off once it was Harden and Embiid. And Maxey was just attacking tilted sides all the time and was impossible. Like Raptors played him in the playoffs and he was scoring like 30 points per game until they said, OK, wait, 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 we need to no reorganize things. Yeah. Hero, similarly to and that's kind of what the Heat have done. And especially their first finals run post LeBron was that. They had a different leading score in every single series. It's like leveraging guys as best you can, you know, kind of making it like guys who typically don't lead playoff series and scoring Goron, Hero, Bam, manufacturing offense and doing a great job of it with Jimmy in the middle. Like, Mm -hmm. great job. But if Dame is there, it's so organic that it's hard to think of it as anything else. And also, like, as you say, Jimmy, Dame, and Bam. He's really complimentary. Just you don't you don't have to think too much about the machinations of it. These mm-hmm. are really complimentary skill sets. Um, for anybody listening who wants the Raptors side of this, because the Raptors are apparently in on it, um, there will be a Raptors Portland podcast at some point where if Dame isn't gone, then we'll talk about it. But um, who like who do you think is guaranteed to go? Like what's what's the trade look like in your mind? Um, like I mentioned the Tyler thing if they're able to keep him. Um, but like I would, I'm like 85% sure he's going in some, he has to go somewhere. I don't think he's going to Portland. I think if this is three teams or four teams, like I do think Tyler's on that third or fourth team. Um, he's probably out. Uh, I would imagine Nikola Jovic is going to be out of there. Caleb Martin's probably out of there. Um, and I guess if you are able to keep Tyler some kind of way, then I would met Kyle Lowry just by virtue of the salary and him being expiring, Mm -hmm. I think he's going to be gone. Um, so I would say at least three of the four, if not all four, depending on how big the deal gets. Pretty underwhelming for Portland fans, but I guess that's why it has to be a bigger trade than just one and two. Um, interesting stuff with Dame, of course, but putting Dame to the side, this was a team that played in the finals just a few months ago. Um, you've obviously been paying a ton of attention to the WNBA, but for, uh, a lot of fans who just watched the NBA, they are just fresh on their mind is that it was Nuggets versus Heat. That's one of the best teams in the league. They're returning. What do you think of their prospects this year without adding anything, you know, radical? With If Dame never says a thing, just mm-hmm. keeps like four bar Friday, axe to the grindstone. I'm here. I'm loyal guy. You know, what do you think the situation is for Miami? Um, I think they are a slightly better team, um, which I guess would be maybe a little bit controversial. But I think if you were factoring in, because I mean, losing Gabe Vincent, I think that does hurt. And I think losing Max Drews can hurt. But if you are getting Duncan Robinson back in the rotation and the shooting is just back for him, uh, com- in combination with what he's been able to do in terms of growing as a dribble handoff guy, being able to uh, toss in that slip pass to Bam and stuff like that. Like, I don't think the drop between Strews and Duncan Robinson would be big. Um, if you get a healthier Kyle Lowry, whatever that looks like at this stage of his career, I don't think you miss Gabe Vincent as much as you think you might. You add Josh Richardson to the fold, gives you a little bit more depth in the wing room, someone that can space, someone that can 
attack attack a closeout, take two dribbles and knock down a pull-up, and someone that can credibly defend two or three perimeter defi- uh, positions, I think that helps. And again, if Tyler Hero is just healthier, a lot of the conversation about the offense may be different if he's just in the lineup and knocking down those threes and knocking down those pull-ups. And so, again, it, everything's health dependent in the NBA, so that's a very obvious caveat. But, like, I do like the roster. Um, he did try to address their backup big issue because uh, Heat fans will tell you how they felt about the Dwayne Detman minutes and then later the Cody Zeller minutes, particularly in the playoffs, or as we got deeper mm-hmm. into the playoffs. And so, like, I understand the flyer with Thomas Bryant. Like, I'm not a huge fan because if you were complaining about Zeller or Detman's defense and you're adding Thomas Bryant to the fray, I just want you to pump your brakes on what that's going to look like. But offensively, at the very least, he is someone that is a really good screener. He can hurt you on the offensive glass. He is someone that is a credible shooter inside the arc and also has flashed the ability to knock down above the break threes, which are more valuable than those corner threes that people want Bam to eventually take. He's and slick, so, man. yeah, so like <clears throat> I can see the avenue for this just being a better team, at least in the regular season. You may still run into some of the same postseason questions. Does Jimmy Butler have his three randomly for two weeks? If not, what are you going to do against these unders or depending on the matchup? What happens if you just switch to Jimmy Bam pick and roll? What's going on there? How reliable will Kyle Lowry be as a pull-up shooter from night to night? Tyler Hero, if teams do commit two to the ball against him, it's a good thing that you're getting that extra attention from him, but can he actually handle that? Can he make the passes necessarily, and can he make those decisions quickly enough so that he can actually play advantage basketball instead of it being a theoretical advantage? Like Those questions may still persist, and so through that lens, I could understand some of the frustration from Heat fans if this trade doesn't go down. But I do like where the roster's at. And if you are getting, you know, more growth from Bam, if you're getting more growth plus better health from Tyler Hero, if you're getting some of these younger guys, Haywood Highsmith flashed some really fun stuff defensively last year. If he's able to generate anything consistently offensively outside of the cutting, then I think you have a pretty versatile defensive piece that can add some value for you. Like, I, I'm i not low on this Heat team. No, I'm just, they were just in the finals. They didn't lose. Yeah. Like, they lost a couple guys, but... You mentioned advantage basketball. The Raptors haven't played that much of advantage basketball. You know, I'm curious what you think of – I know you're well aware of the roster. I know you're well aware of the the ongoings, the machinations of the offense. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on um, an offense that has been bottom five in the half court the past two seasons and just took away the guy? And I know Raptors fans think it will be better if it is great, but – Fred Van Vliet is gone. He had a bulk of their offense um, as far as points per possession, successful offense for that team. Mm-hmm. Um, he's gone now. Dennis Schroeder comes in. Jalen McDaniels, you know, does that interest you? How do you think the offense turns out? I have some pretty big questions about the offense, saying some other move happening. Like, I do think, like, there are – very few, because I think Fred is just flat out a better play- basketball player than Dennis Schroeder. I'll say that off rip. But, like, I do get the credence to you will get a little bit more pace with Dennis. You will get more consistent rim pressure with Dennis. And I think you get mm-hmm. better finishing at the rim with Dennis. And so, and I don't think there's going to be a massive drop between the two in terms of just pure point of attack defense. Now, the switchability, because of how strong Fred is, that's probably going to take a bit of a hit with Dennis. But, like, I can see shades of where he may help them. But it's hard to overlook the lack of a reliable like pull-up threat, the lack of a super reliable playmaker among the guard room right now. And if you are turning things over to Scotty, how much spacing have you really surrounded him with? And even with some of the inverted stuff that you want to do, 
like I, I've seen Dennis like screen for LeBron and stuff. Like I, it's not the same as what you were going to get with Fred in terms of the effectiveness of the screen or the quickness of the ghost. And then also just the pure shooting threat if he is ghosting those screens. And so like, I don't really love it on paper right now. Like this is very much a, I would like to see some preseason games just to see what the offense actually looks like uh, schematically. And then we can go from is the personnel fit to do it or whatever. But I at least want to see how differently it looks from last year before I firmly say this offense is going to stink. But I, I'm not super enthused right now. The big thing for Dennis is that objectively, I think he'll be much better on switches and on broken plays. The big problem that the Raptors had all last season, and it showed up once, you know, in the play-in game when the Bulls decide to start switching Vooch on to Fred is like, oh, Fred, you know, he's dealt with a lot of injuries. He's a small guard. Whether he gets it back in time for the Houston contract or whether, you know, it takes him a little while or maybe he's a different player for the rest of his career, who knows? Mm -hmm. But Vooch stepped out on him repeatedly and they could not create on those because Fred couldn't turn the corner. Dennis turns corners. That's like his yeah. job. I, I will turn the corner, right turn, left turn, through traffic, on a yellow light, you know, the red as it's expiring, whatever. Like he'll make the turn. And that is an exciting prospect for many people, especially since, and like here's the funny sneaky thing, Kyle Lowry has been, you know, you could argue, argue yourself that over the his time with the Raptors, he was the best point guard in the Eastern Conference over that time. Mm -hmm. People will disagree with that. That's fine. But what the Raptors haven't really had in a long time is like this athletic, bursty guard. Mm -hmm. And so even from an aesthetic point of view, Dennis is going to offer something much different than what the Raptors are used to. Even Gary Trent Jr. is not like that, right? Mm -hmm. Norm was like that, but they let him start for like 15 games and then traded him. And even he, he was... He had a pretty good pick-and-roll season, actually, on low usage before he got traded. But uh, this is tangential. Um disregarding all that they have to try and create that space what do you make of that that front court situation Jakob Ertl, Pascal Siakam Scotty Barnes elite passing like as far as a front three maybe the best in the NBA mm -hmm. um like it doesn't include Jokic but all those guys really slick mm -hmm. uh what do you make about how they can carve out spacing or try to make things work um with not traditional spacing, but uh, gravity off of screens, uh, big guys cutting like off of some guy's face towards the bucket, higher catch points while in motion downhill. Like you really got to get down to the nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. um, can I throw out a WNBA comp for you? Hell yeah. I, I think they should watch a lot of Dallas Wings film. The Dallas Wings very big across their front court. Uh, statistically, they were the worst three-point shooting team in the W. And yet they were a high level offense because of what they did on the offensive glass and what they did with a bunch of post-ups and something that I have been noting kind of on my timeline recently wrote about it with their offense uh, ahead of like their first round series with Atlanta is that despite not having like good shooters and in theory, you could just sag off of these players. They do such a good job of like lifting the corners or clearing the side to set up their post-ups. And so like, even if you want to send help, it's pretty elongated help if you're trying to send it. And so, like, I think that may be how Toronto has to go about it to set up some of their high lows and just set up some of their inside-out offense is to get real particular with, okay, we're going to have everyone above the wings right now. It then set up this low post play or we'll let Scotty go to work. And if we want to go into split action from there or if we just want him to attack a mismatch, we got to do it that way because we don't have the traditional three spacers around him or four spacers around him. 
I think they have to get real particular about doing it that way. Now, the NBA, like, the, you can just cover so much ground defensively, so it may not have the same effectiveness as Dallas. Um, <clears throat> my guy Steve pointed this out on the podcast recently. Like, the Wings were the second-best offense in the W post-All-Star break, and that was slightly below the New York Liberty and slightly ahead of the Las Vegas Aces, which just set the W record for the best offense in league history. So it may not be that. And it may be the Raptors go from 25th in offense to 22nd or whatever, just throwing random numbers out there. Sure. But, like, they have to manipulate spacing in that kind of way. I think Dallas could be an interesting comp for them. That is that is an interesting comp. Like, lifting the corners, empty side stuff is – they've done that before, and they've found success. Like, as you said, elongated help. Big help means big reads. If there's a guy who's one pass away who's constantly, like, darting in and out and not giving you anything – Mm-hmm. the help is is not a big deal like you can just bother somebody's post up especially if there's a live dribble right mm-hmm. um pascal siakam pretty good at escaping that stuff and you know reinitiating but as far as if you can make that help super long then you should feel pretty good especially about scotty he has the most zip on his passes he's the best like he's the most talented passer there for sure if there are advantages being born out of the post up i think he'll be a bit of a wizard out of it Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, you really have to be, if you're running anything, I guess, in the framework of offense that's kind of conservative, traditional, pick and roll stuff, mm-hmm. you have to make where you put Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, Otto Porter Jr., Grady Dick, these guys, mm-hmm. they are a rotating cast of very specifically placed pieces. Um, what, what do you make of that role for OG upcoming this year? Again. Oh boy, what, what does OG make of the role of coming this year again? <laughs> you you, you want the the sources? <laughs> Who's Not the, great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like I just don't know how you. It's such a weird dichotomy because, like, one just with him, you want him to explore space, but like also. We've seen some of the footwork and some of the lower body strength with the drives, and it's just like, well, it's not super tenable for sixty plus games a year and twenty plus possessions guaranteed a game. But like, also, this is someone that is he is better than stand in corner and shoot. That much is very true. I don't know how you balance that. And then you zoom out to the team context. Hey, man, if we're giving you these touches, that means it's only Gary, you know, depending on the lineup. That means it's only Gary Trent Jr. spacing. We can't really afford to let you explore the way you may want to or even the way that we may feel we want you to. Because we just don't have enough on the perimeter to supplement if you are now posting up. And now you're just getting help from everywhere. The thing is, too, is that OG is capable on empty side stuff often because he can create in the big open spaces mm-hmm. with the ball in his hands. Ask him to navigate tight spaces. Yeah. Hey, not like not great. That's where the trouble comes. Yeah, it just gets it gets really tough for him. Actually, if I can rewind a bit, can I hijack your podcast for one question? Yeah. Oh, uh, just talking through like some of the Scotty stuff and also Dennis. I ask you, since you have written probably 12,000, 15,000 words on Scotty, everything Scotty at this point in his career, how do you feel about Scotty as one, a screener, but two, as someone that can like flip angles and stuff? Like, how is he good? How good is he at that particular aspect of screening? Because I think that's going to play a big part in how successful like the Dennis Scotty pick and roll may be. Uh, traditional screening, not good at all. Has a lot of trouble placing himself between ball handler and defender. Uh, dribble handoff stuff, you, you never know why guys succeed at things more inherently, but dribble handoff stuff, he's better at planting. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as like 
the rescreen, the flip, and like really carving out angles to create driving lanes and like more to make sure that like if a guy is gonna stab step, he's actually moving up to meet that step. So you create like this chasm between ball handler yeah. and defender. He can't he doesn't track that stuff. But again, he's like second year player who is a self-professed point guard. This isn't stuff he's worked on extensively. He has a pretty good sense of it on dribble handoffs. The other stuff needs work gotcha. uh, for sure. But yeah, it's it's something I would expect him to be quite good at on his second contract, or I would hope he'd be quite good at it on his second contract. And then on his first contract, I think mostly he's leveraging these situations with the fact that he's a really tremendous playmaker and also the keeper aspect of dribble handoff stuff. But just a rote, I run up and I'm there for a screen, uh, not great. The Raptors, there's a reason why they traded for Pirtle. Precious Achua and Scotty cannot land screens. They just have a lot of trouble with it. Yeah, man, Precious just getting out of there. And, like, I get it, but, like, also, dog. <laughs> dog. I still have, like, the early Miami stint in my head. It's just like, dog, please. Well, let's, hey, I we haven't talked Precious really on any of these podcasts so far. You have, you know, even though he's now been with the Raptors for a longer at this point, but... You've seen Precious with the Raptors. You've seen his great run at the end of 2021-22. You've obviously checked in to keep seeing what was happening last year. Pretty, well, actually very disappointing relative to, you know, progression isn't linear, but when the when yeah. it's going up, you're like, hey, cool. Um, what are your thoughts on him in what is now a very crowded front court? Um, Which doesn't matter because he's a shooting guard, of course. So <laughs> I kind of work out. Uh, I kind of worry about it. And I think this is where like having the new head coach that is also like secure for four or five years helps. Cause on one hand it's like, okay, you have time to kind of explore and see what he can do. He probably has more leisure. Like if Nick nurse was still there, like I would just be super worried that pressure just doesn't play very often because it is coaching for my job time. And we got to figure this out. And we just lost Fred. We can't afford to throw away any more offensive possessions. Cause we don't have Fred. He was so rude last year, man. <laughs> he was so rude to precious in the media. Uh, anyway, go on. No, but like since the new coach is in there, like I do think he has room to kind of bounce back. And one, let's see, let's see if we can prove if that shooting at the end of 21-22, let's see how real that actually is. And if you're able to more consistently parlay that into I can shoot or I can drive past your big because I'm faster and I actually have some ball skills. And being able to explore from there, I would also like for him to like discover the X button or the A button if you're an Xbox <laughs> player. So like that would be a cool thing to kind of add into that shoot or drive aspect of his game. But like I think there's some room for exploration there. And then defensively, like he's still fun. And so like he is someone that can switch a bit. He's had some fun flashes at the rim. Like I wouldn't call him an elite rim protector or anything of the sort, but like he's had you can see where that can go. And so I'm, I'm curious just to see like how much leash he gets this year. Mm-hmm. The you bring up the most intriguing parts of his game is like attacking closeouts. There he was detonating every second game on somebody with a highlight during you know post All Star break 2021 22. He also shot 44 percent from three on like I think it was 3.6 attempts per game. Yeah, and he's a bench player or you know a 22 25 minute per game player. So that's like per 36 like almost five and like it's all catch and shoot he's doing a pretty good job lifting you know yeah. forming up to drives you're like what the hell? who the hell is this guy you know the Big Raptors wing. run 
was tenable because Pascal obviously came back, found his stride and was insane. But also that Fred was injured and shooting bad. Gary had an elongated slump. And somehow the ball kept finding Precious Achua for threes that were made. Now, is that something that continues going forward? God, I hope so. Because if, like, he's... Now, maybe this is my little Raptors hat on, but I think he's one of the 10 or 15 most athletic players in the league. Strength, you know, that foot speed. Like, he's tapping. He's sliding with guys like Trey Young, flipping the hips, pop, hitting it off the backboard. Like, it's really impressive. And then also strong enough to kind of like stick with Luca and Jimmy on their strength, Giannis on their strength creation stuff. And then obviously like his dunks speak for themselves. It's all very like the, you know, the pump and like get skinny, throw a head dribble, mm-hmm. come down the lane, pop. He, I'm obviously excited just talking about it. The The problem is that like, I think I got like what, three of those plays last year to get excited about. <laughs> for every one of those, it is, Hey man, two people are open. What are you doing? There's, there's the catch at 16, the survey over three seconds, dribble out to 25. There's eight seconds left on the shot clock. You're like, hey, what the hell's going on in this possession? <laughs> There's a lot of that. I'm very interested. And with Coloco having a really promising rookie season, him being more traditional and easy to just throw him at the five. There's no question marks about it. Mm-hmm. You have Chris Boucher in the front court who gets paid like double digit millions. You know, I, I wonder if he's the odd man out. You have Jalen McDaniels, who's going to try and provide all of his promise of which there's much, but we'll see how much of it converts and conveys. You have Otto Porter Jr. Who maybe you play him up. You have Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, Yaka Pirtle. It's like, how the hell does anybody play <laughs> in this front court? And Precious has to find his way there, which is why the shooting guard thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Hey, man. Also, have we just not heard anything else on, hey, Gary's getting that extension. It's just. Nothing. Oh, the Raptors don't sign, guys. That's not uh, something they do. I was, <laughs> I was like, huh, this is an interesting, like, first. Pascal, OG, Gary, all expiring. We don't talk about it. You know, it's. We'll see, man. It's an in- It's been an interesting set of decisions. And, you know, nobody here makes decisions of that gravity. It's fine. And nobody knows until things are done. But in reference against NBA history, having three guys and a lot of money expiring is typically not a good indicator. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course, you could be like trust in Masai. You know, it'll happen. It'll get done. And once it's done, it'll look better than you ever imagined. But and that's fine if anyone wants to do that. But then you look at, you know, NBA history and you're like, Three expirings is like not usually a good indicator, especially when those guys take up like 40% of the shots on the team. You know, what's happening here? You look a little closer, you wonder about things. What do you make of it? I think it's just odd. It kind of feeds into the general what direction do the Raptors want to go in type beat because that's what's made the offseason kind of odd. And it's like, okay, if they're losing Fred, they're going to trade Pascal, they're going to go younger, they're going to just try to reconfigure this around Scotty. Cool. Or... All right, we want a new voice in here, but we're bringing Fred back. We're going to assign Pascal long-term because he's been an all-NBA-level player for multiple years. And let's see if we can reconfigure this thing with a new voice, a new vision offensively and figure it out. Cool. Right now, it is we have lost Fred. Everyone's here but not signed. There's been no real trade rumblings outside of the Pascal Atlanta stuff, and then that got quiet. And now we are a week and a half, two weeks from camp. What does this mean? 
it's <laughs> very interesting. They they just hired Ben Uzo as a pro scout. That's meaningful. That's a he name. had the tri- he had the triple double that moved them. Like he won a game with a triple double last game of the season, moved them into a tiebreaker that moved them from Dame Harrison Barnes into Terrence Ross. So maybe, you know, this is <laughs> serendipitous. Maybe they're about to shake things up. Ben Uzo is the bellwether for change as, as ever. I, I don't know what it means either. I guess something I'd ask you as somebody who one of the preeminent, you know, analysts, people who look at okay, what's happening on the floor and how coaches impact that, especially since you spend so much time in proximity to people who think that way. You know, we as analysts, you and I, we try and just leech off of other people like teach, learn, etc. Mm-hmm. What do you make of Darko? First year head coach. I'm pretty excited based on like the things that I have seen slash read, like listening to you <clears throat> talk about it. I was like, okay, this seems to be like, in theory or like philosophy wise, this seems to be like my kind of guy. And then I look at what the roster is. And I'm just like, okay, how exactly does this all fit? And I think mm-hmm. him having as much experience as he has and his general ability to adapt, like obviously I'm not like in the rooms, so I don't know. But like if you're selling him as someone that has learned a bunch under a lot of different voices, has his own philosophy, but has shown the ability to adapt based on what he has, that gives me some. <clears throat> You know, that gives me a level of I'm, the word is escaping right now. Some optimism. There we go. It gives sure. me optimism that he'll be able to be creative and figure some stuff out. So, like, I do like the hire, but at a certain point, like the personnel does matter. You just can't give him this many bigs and a dearth of shooting and a dearth of pull up shooting specifically, and expect the Raptors to jump to like a top ten offense within two years. I don't think that's a fair expectation to him. It's not a fair expectation of the players. Like if Scotty doesn't become a 20 point per game score in year three, as everyone expects the general year three leap for high level prospects, is it his fault if he's operating in a phone booth? Not really. And so I would like expectations to kind of be tempered in that regard. But like, I like the Darko hire. I like what he stands for, from what I've been able to see again, very much outside. And considering I'm not like in the Raptor buzz bubble, like I'm not even as close to it as like you are, but like, it seems good. I just want to see like how the theory meshes with the personnel. It's it'll be a shame if he gets fired for stealing secrets from the New York Knicks, I suppose. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it's true, though, right? Like that adaptability is a is a real thing. You can look at his self-professed ideals and that they are different than what he helped design the offense for in both Phoenix and Memphis. And and because the personnel there, like he, he looked at what they were doing in Phoenix and he's like, oh, I, I want to run a bunch of pick and roll. I've been thinking, I've been stewing on this, and I think I have a really good idea of how to approach this. And then you look at, well, it's Devin Booker, and you have Ricky Rubio on ball. It's like, okay, we need to work through a lot of like handoff stuff, and we need to keep a lot of stuff above the break, and then start turning corners and making decisions from there. And it's like, okay, then he was able to sell Devin Booker on that style, and then four years later, five years later, Devin Booker has built out, you know, really built himself out of that type of offense. The Suns went on to build what is now like a monstrosity of stardom, of course, but mm-hmm. a lot of success doing so. And you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. Memphis, with Jaw as a lead ball handler, some of it is going to be traditional, of course, but there are quirks that you have to fit in and build in, especially with the different big men that they've played with over that time, like Jonas and, and Steven Adams, to to make those guys work. And especially considering that, like, Sure, they had one good year of shooting with Jaron, but mostly they'd been playing, you know, the, the Grizzlies with 
not that much spacing on the floor until they get to their transitional lineups. Mm-hmm. You look at the Raptors, they're different, of course. But as you said, the dearth of shooting, trying to, you know, figure, get, put the big brain hat on and figure your way around it. It's something that, you know, you hope Darko, you can't solve everything, but you hope that you weaponize things that beforehand had not been weaponized. And maybe that's more downhill cutting, you know, which would be like the only thing because that would be new because the Raptors have leaned into offensive rebounding. They have leaned into, you know, mismatch hunting. They have leaned into playing big and bashing dudes and, and transition and all that kind of stuff. And the personnel on this roster screams, get turnovers, play defense like demons, and just like bash smaller guys, which has been kind of what, what the Raptors that? have been doing. Um, I guess the defense is the only difference over the course of the season, but they were already more conservative by the end of Nick Nurse's, I guess, tenure. That's actually something I want to ask you about. Okay. What did you make of the the end of the Nick Nurse tenure? Thoughts? Uh, like, honestly, I was so just like, enamored slash confused by the offense that like you mentioned, like they did get more conservative defensively and that's true. But like, that was something that was very much secondary on my radar. And like, I wonder how much of that was an actual shift from Nick. And I wonder if that like carries over to the Philly strip, uh, the Philly stint, or if it was just, we're just get we're, we're tired and we got to do something else. We got to simplify some stuff for some of the younger guys. And so, like, that's kind of how I approached it. Like, I wish I had deeper thoughts on it so I can sound, like, super smart and stuff. But, like, again, I was just so thrown off by, like, what is this offense running? And, like, why is Raptors Twitter bickering again? And et cetera, et cetera. Raptors Twitter always bickers. Well, you know, that's, that's the way it works. Right. Honestly, though, I think this is probably something you've noticed, too. Raptors Twitter, the understanding of it, I think it's much different now. You know, it, it, like, it's changed over time. I think, like, some people have left as the team has waxed and waned. And, you know, I guess the Twitter the Twitter era of that type of, I don't know, fan base is maybe different now. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I feel like it's more segmented. It used to be that, like, everybody – now, this wasn't something I participated in, but, like, <laughs> everybody I knew was, like, the badge in 2K dunk contest, quote, tweet dunks, like – Monday <laughs> through Sunday, like every day, wake up, search for the reporter who slandered the Raptors in some form or fashion. And like, maybe it's a reporter, maybe it's somebody who's just popular. Everyone is like, I'm taking off. Yeah. I'm Vince Carter, 2001. Like, I'm going for it. Um, that was what it was. Now, I don't think they have the juice. It's too It's too easy to be like, what's going on with your team? <laughs> Probably. Um Something I want to ask about, though, with the Heat. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, they were in the finals, and you think they might have a better chance this year. They somehow manage repeatedly to populate players starting their career without playing a game who have shot 56 of 111 from three. Who might that be? Is it Hawkes? <laughs> is it is it Kevin Love after a transformation of sorts? Like, what's, what's happening with the shooting? Who do you think is the next prospect for that oh. to happen? Oh, geez. Like, honestly, I need to see what the roster is going to look like <laughs> game one of the regular season. But like some of the like Drew Peterson was front in summer league, like some of the guys that they had on their summer league roster. I think that's kind of where I land. Um, if you can get any sort of consistent shooting from Jamal Kane or again, Haywood Highsmith is probably going to be the big one where it's like, oh, he's just in the rotation this year. Huh? Wait, who's this guy shooting 37 percent from three on like three attempts off the bench? 
and there may be like a national media reckoning of like, oh God, the Heat have done it again. And I'll just be in the corner like, well, he played last year. He, <laughs> he kinda he, he had that he had that game against the the Hornets in January, you know, but that's just how my brain works. Um so I guess like among the young actual known rotation pieces, uh, probably Haywood Highsmith would be the guy that pops as a reliable shooter. Um the guard room, I think that's just going to be a big TBD, depending on like what happens with the trade. Because like even some of the guys that they may get from again from the summer league roster or from their G League roster from last year, it may not matter if the Heat like sign another point guard if they if they add Dame but then sign another veteran point guard like Goran Dragic has been linked to them. And Goran Dragic will that man loves Miami more than some people that live in Miami, I would imagine. Um, so like if it just becomes like Dame Goran, then it's like, well, that takes some of the minutes away from whoever might be that random, like the gay Vincent type that pops out of nowhere. Um, so like, I don't know if like Drew Smith becomes a guy that pops or something like that. It would be interesting. I like a uh, Dame Goran would be a really, really funny to just have them like, we're in Miami again. You know, we've lost 3% body fat between the two of us. <laughs> We're ready to go into battle. Um, last question, I think. Bam Adebayo. I think a guy who, you know, it's it's tough to regulate and create the hierarchy of decision-making when you're good at a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And especially when, as you mentioned, the Miami offense, he's the hub, of course. But also some of that hubbiness can turn into in the playoffs like okay you know they reject it reject it push him downhill pivot facing the basket do something like you're more athletic than the guy in front of you there's a way for you to worm your way into a good shot you just have to do it like 16 times tonight Mm -hmm. out of that specific area bam I think it was, you know, maybe like way too early a take. But after his first playoff run, I think I tweeted this years ago. I was like, this guy's making the Hall of Fame. This guy just plays like (laughs) tremendous basketball. He wins. I think he's going to find his way there. Now, I like maybe that would be cool. I'd love that. But what do you think is left for Bam, who still seems like he has development sitting there? Like there's food on the plate to eat. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you think is next for him? The next step, et cetera. Um, next for him, I think we are in the, not that he's not going to try to add different elements to his game or anything like that, but I think we're kind of in the refinement stage with Bam, uh, particularly offensively. It's like, okay, we know where your jumpers are going to come from. Like as cool as it would be if he starts taking corner threes or as the heat runs some delay stuff with him above the break, it'd be cool if he takes a, a three or two above the break. Like it doesn't seem to be part of his package right now. Like that feels very much like a year seven, year eight thing to where, you know, not necessarily the Brooke Lopez renaissance where he's just shooting threes out of nowhere. But I think later in his career is when he's really going to start. I guess it's more, I guess it's more of a Chris Bosch comp to where he sure. dabbled in it early, but really wasn't a consistent part of the Toronto years. And like even year one in Miami, he wasn't taking a bunch. But by the end of his heat tenure, and I hate the way that it ended, like he was just a guy that stretched the floor in addition to everything else. So maybe we see that kind of late career thing. But right now it's, we know you take mid-range jumpers. We know you can make them. Can you become a consistent 45% mid-range shooter? We know what kind of decision-making, kind of decision-maker you are when you go to some of the mid-post stuff or some of the handoff stuff. Can you make those decisions even quicker? If you were going to hand it off, can you do it with juice? If you were going to fake the funk, can you do it with juice? If you're going to turn and face up, can you get to that? Is it one jab, step, and go? Versus catch, turn, jab step, survey, jab step again, and then go into something. And so I think that's kind of where it's going to be. And again, if the Dame trade happens and now you just expand what he can do in pick and roll, 
that's kind of all he needs. Like he's already an all-star slash all NBA caliber player right now. And is one of the three best defenders on the planet conservatively. And so if he gets an easier workload offensively, that gives him more room to do the defense stuff, or at least in theory, gives him more room to do the defense stuff. And he may need to do more of the defense stuff. If the, uh, if the point mm-hmm. of that becomes Dame and Tyler hero, instead of Gabe Vincent and Max Struess, he's going to have to work harder defensively to be frank about it, but he may have more room to do that. Um, if some of the pressure is taken off of him. So I'm just kind of looking at refinement. Decision-making isn't going to be – other decisions make, being made quicker. Is the mid-range jumper better? And what does that open up from there? I want that stutter rip for him, man. Ga-ga! You know, do it. that little, ooh, it'll be nice. I guess we'll see. Yeah, well, we've seen it in flashes. So that becomes a consistent thing. Like Jimmy Butler's really good stutter rip guy in particular. Like getting the lab with <laughs> getting the lab with Jimmy. Have some fun with that. Slow-footed bigs just can't stick with Bam. Yeah, Driving bigs, I think, are – that's the next wave of great playoff creators. Like, I, I talked I talked to Henry Ward about this, our dear friend Hank at Summer League. We were just gushing cool. about, like, what if Jaron Jackson Jr. in a playoff series is just always applying the pressure with a live dribble? Because he, he can in spurts, and he's young. That's that's probably why, you know, Scotty and Pascal are so fascinating, despite not being quite the same size as Bam and, and especially not as Jaron. Mm-hmm. It's just like those guys, Joel Embiid is a really great example of like, no fear, put the ball down, like make guys just respond to it. You're a big body. And like yeah. every, there's a Kyle Lowry every once in a while to step in the lane, sure, but <laughs> it's a lot to deal with, man. And Bam, if he fully, because he's so athletic, he's so quick, so mm-hmm. fleet of foot. You know, make other guys try and like flip the hips and turn with you. Odds are they can't. May and you know that puts you in a maybe an uncomfortable position where you have to make like more of these downhill reads. You have to read guys pinching in and you have to decide like whether they're stunting or whether they're coming all the way in. And maybe like it's that push pass with the one hand above the break, or maybe it's that two handed to the corner. But like it's more decisions, it's more responsibility, but God he can move. And Bigs who can move like that, man. A lot of fun. And, like, just on a complimentary note there, like, I also just want to see a healthier Bam. Like, I think that also just kind of goes under the radar with him because he will still play. And, like, he's just playing with a bad shoulder. And he's playing with a gimpy knee. And he's playing with this ankle. And he's playing with something with the wrist. And it's like, we appreciate it. But also, when you're now 5 of 13 and Heat Twitter is like, why didn't he take 20 shots? <laughs> yeah, it's probably because he's switching 40 ball screens at 80%. Like, that's probably why. And so, like, I would also just like some of the workload to become easier for him just so he doesn't have to deal with that. And if we get, like, a more consistently healthy BAM, like, the pretty box score numbers are probably going to look better. It's going to be easier for you to tell your friends how good he is. And I think we just see more growth from him, period. That's what it's all about, man. Is like you have a favorite player and you want to tell your friends about him. If he's the type of player like this guy's Paul George for years. Oh, like playoff P, you know, pandemic P, all this stuff. I heard so much about it as a staunch Paul George defender. When he had that series against the Jazz, I felt like finally I can (laughs) talk about this guy being the most aesthetically pleasing, coolest, on balance, dynamic wing like ever at his size. And it was 6'9", 6'10". But, like, 
DeMar DeRozan was my favorite player growing up after mm-hmm. Luol Deng. I don't know why I choose, chose Luol Deng, but I was like, Luol Deng is sick, hey, man. Heat legend um, Luol Deng. We'll never forget him shifting to the four in 2015-16 and the heat just taking off. That's right. Um, but DeMar DeRozan, like he got clowned on, man. As you as you well know, you've seen discourse about DeMar. And just having to sit there and be like, well, I don't derive my meaning from playoff basketball. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's like a tough thing. So, yeah, um, be better so your fans can be boisterous and happy. This kind of this loops back to Raptors Twitter changing organically, I suppose. Any parting shots before we get out of here, Nikaias? Um, I just want to say briefly, just just kind of upset with Paul George, because like one thing I have been stewing on over the last year and a half is like, I don't think people understand like one, how good Paul George is, but two, like how historically good Paul George is like this yes. is. Literally, like, one of, in terms of volume, and you add in the efficiency, too, like, he's one of the best, like, big, one of the best shooters ever. And I don't think people talk about him in that light. Then you add in the defense, you add he in. He hit the, the backboard once, so it's yeah, all it, erased. It doesn't, it doesn't count. Yeah, it's just, and I'm just like, man, I would love to be able to, like, talk to Paul George for, like, a story. Or if I get him for 45 minutes on the pod, that would be super cool. Like, let's just talk about how great you are. Like, let's dig into stuff. And now he just has like the best player pod out there. And it's like, well, yep. shoot, man, he's just giving out all those thoughts now. Never mind. It's cool. Yeah. He's got he's, it. Uh, maybe, maybe we get like the, the Tyler Tynes feature at some point. That might be the one that we need. Yeah. Um, shout out Tyler. Yeah. We, we yeah. need it. I was like, dang, man, just taking my ideas off the table. Like, shout out PG. Yeah. He's, he's fantastic. Nikias, also fantastic. Um, <laughs> listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. There's more of these to come. There's more in the rearview mirror. If you want to listen to any team, uh, try to enjoy it before the season starts. Nikias, thank you, man. Thank you for having me, man. Happy to talk about the Heat, all the interesting players. You know, finals teams, good good teams are more fun than bad teams. Sometimes. Bad teams, like I had a hell of a time talking Detroit with Jack Kelly. That's a fun team to talk about. But regardless, listener, thanks for tuning in. Uh, more, yeah, more. I said the whole thing already. Okay. Hey, we'll see ya. <laughs>